Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, and this is Leah Aroni welcoming you to News from the Torah. This week we will be reading the Torah portion of Vayeshev. Today is the 17th day of the month of Kislev, November 21st. So Vayeshev starts with the story of Yosef's dreams. Yosef, the son of Yaakov, has all these dreams in which he sees himself as becoming the leader and his family members bowing down to him. These dreams, of course, engender great hate from his brothers to Yosef, and Yosef is then sold down to Egypt, which leads the way for the Jewish people to go into exile to Egypt. What I'd like to do in this show is to talk about dreams and to talk about visualization. How do dreams, and more importantly, visualization, images, how do they affect us? How do they affect our consciousness? How do they affect our relationship with God? How can we use them as a tool in developing greater sensitivity and changing our behavior in ways that need to be changed? And how imagery and the emotional development that it entails is a big part of the Hasidic movement. And I'm specifically talking about the Hasidic movement this week because this week on Tuesday, we will be celebrating the 19th of Kislev, the holiday of the redemption, the holiday of the um, freedom for the Balatanya Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi, who was one of the prominent Hasidic rabbis, the third generation, the student of the Magid of Mezrich, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. And Rabbi Shneer of Liadi wrote the first book that set a method to the Hasidic thought, that created a program of development for each person who wanted to use the Hasidic approach for creating a closer relationship with God. It is on this day that we start a new uh, cycle of learning the Tanya, and we finish the previous cycle. So if you've wanted to learn the Tanya and Hasidut, this is the day to do it. This is the time to find your neighborhood, Chabad house, rabbi, of Rabbitson and to learn the Tanya and Hasidut wisdom, it will enrich your life immeasurably. We're going to discuss all of this right after the break, so please don't go anywhere. We will be right back. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom, I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. So last week, we talked extensively about the relationship 
between Yaakov and Esav. The fact that Yaakov and Esav represent two different cultures, the Jewish culture and the Western society, and the differences between them. We talked extensively about the meetup of Yaakov and Esav and how Esav always hates Yaakov, but really couldn't do anything to him. And then last week's Torah portion ended off with a long and detailed description of all the descendants of Esav and all of his warlords or chieftains. This week's Torah portion starts with the generations of Yaakov. And the first one listed in the generations of Yaakov is Yosef. So our sages pick up on this juxtaposition and bring this beautiful story and image, really, if we're going to talk about imagery in this show, of many, many, many camels of flax brought into a town by a flax dealer. And a blacksmith sees all of these camels with all of this flax, and he doesn't understand where is all of this flax going to fit in our little town. And a smart person in a discussion tells the blacksmith, look, one spark out of your bellows can burn down all of this cotton. And the same is true of Yaakov and Esav. Yosef is a spark of Yaakov. And there is a verse, actually, in the book of Ovadia, which says, And the house of Yaakov shall be a fire, and the house of Yosef a flame, and the house of Esav for stubble. One spark issuing from Yosef will burn up all of these descendants of Esav. So as we look at the culture around us, as we look at the Western culture around us, sometimes we see it to be so big and grandiose and overpowering. And we see ourselves as this very small minority. The people who ascribe to Jewish values, the people who ascribe to Jewish outlook are a tiny minority in a huge, huge culture of Western values. We're a minority in terms of our numbers, and we're also a minority in terms of our voice. Sometimes we look around and the task seems insurmountable. How can we ever, ever give voice to our opinions and our outlooks and our values in this sea of foreign values? And I think the answer comes right here. Our sages tell us, don't look at the quantity, look at the quality. A single spark from a blacksmith can burn down thousands of pounds of cotton or flax. A single spark from the house of Yosef can burn down all of the descendants of Asaph. And of course, we're not talking literally here. We're not talking about a war. We're not talking about killing people. We're talking figuratively about ideas. A single spark of an idea that lights the hearts of people can do away with a lot of darkness. Just think about it. What happens to you when you have a new spark, a new understanding, a new realization? It illuminates everything you see. It illuminates everything you understand. And maybe you have had a lot of other ideas, a lot of other ways of thinking. And maybe a lot of people still think the old way. But it doesn't matter. Once you have that first spark of an idea, it really shows you the way. It doesn't matter how much darkness is around you. One spark can illuminate the darkness. And there's another way to look at this. 
what is that spark? In Hebrew, it's called nitzotz. It is said in the Hasidic texts that every single person has a nitzotz, a spark of God inside of them. It's not a little spark, actually. It's not a little flame. We're literally connected to God through our soul. Our soul can be considered like an optical nerve, a ray of light, a ray of light of the sun that is connected to the sun. It's part of the sun, but it shines all the way down into this world and it really illuminates the world. You cannot see the world without the sun. So the same is true with our soul. Our soul is connected to God on a very deep level. It's part of God, but it then shines down into every individual one of us. And every individual person has that light of God inside of them. So that light is also sometimes called a spark. You know, when you see somebody and they have a spark in their eyes, their eyes sparkle, you know, that person is really alive. They're connected to who they are. They're connected to their mission in the world. They're just alive. And then there are other times when you see people and their eyes are dim. There is no spark. That spark of God is there, but it's covered up by so much misery and depression, maybe anger. You can't see that spark. So we all have that spark inside of us. And that spark inside of us can hold up the match to any darkness of Asaph. I heard this beautiful story this morning about a rabbi from about 50 years ago. There was a rabbi who would give a class every day in this particular synagogue. And every day he and his assistant would leave at a certain time and there was a policeman standing outside the synagogue and he would lock the space. So one day the rabbi and his assistant are coming out of the synagogue and the rab- and the policeman tells the rabbi, Rabbi, don't go home, go back in. There is somebody with a knife who is waiting to hurt you, to kill you. I'm waiting for enforcements to be able to arrest this guy. So the assistant runs back into the synagogue. But the rabbi says, no. And the rabbi goes on his way into the street that he knows that somebody waiting there with a knife to kill him. So the rabbi approaches this person and starts screaming at him, how dare you? How dare you come after me with a knife? Yes, you lost the court case that I presided over, but that doesn't mean you can come after me with a knife. What kind of a behavior is that? Where did you pick that up from? The guy was so surprised, he dropped the knife and started crying. And the rabbi says, what's your story? What's your problem? Why would you come after me with a knife? Why can't you just come and talk? So, so the man says, Rabbi, I'm so sorry, but I'm so desperate. My restaurant lost its kosher certification. And now I have nothing to feed my family. My family is hungry because the restaurant is closed. Nobody comes to it because it's not kosher anymore. And you made that happen. You rule that my ha- restaurant is not kosher. So the rabbi said, what does that have to do with anything? The restaurant is not kosher because you violated the laws. You violated the rules. So yes, the restaurant will not be kosher until you fix what you need to fix. But the fact that your wife and children are hungry is not related. Come to me, I'll give you the money, and you'll go and you feed your family. And when you're ready to get on your feet again, and when you're ready to make the corrections, you'll get your kosher certificate back. You don't come after me with a knife. So that's the spark. You know, when somebody would go after you with a knife, would you ever think to talk to them? Would you ever think to actually 
scream at them or to give them a lecture on how to behave? Would you be afraid of them or would they be afraid of you? But this rabbi, he had the spark, he had the spark of Torah, he had the spark of Yosef, who was literally connected to God. He did not see the physical world around him. He always saw the face of his father and was connected to his father. And even through all the physicality, he always saw the purpose. That's the point of his dreams. doesn't matter what was happening around him. He was a dreamer. He had a very vivid image of what the world should look like or where the world is going or what the purpose is. And his image was so vivid that the externalities, the things happening around him, they could never get in the way of his image. Just think about it. Think of a time when you were so clear on something that needs to be done. You were so clear about something you wanted to accomplish. You had that visual image in your mind. All the challenges, all the naysayers, and everything was happening around you. They didn't get in the way. You always found a way around that. So that's the story. That's the story of this spark. And that image, that spark, they come from our soul. That image comes from inside of our soul that is very clear on what it has to do. It has to reveal godliness in everything in this world. So that rabbi, he had such a clear vision of how the world should be, had such a clear vision or how the relationships between people should be. He wasn't scared of a knife. That wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't part of the vision. So he could go out without any fear and talk this guy down and talk him out of actually stabbing him. So what would it take for each one of us to develop this clear vision, develop this clear plan, to develop this clear spark because really who are the people that have a spark in their eyes it's the people who have the clarity of knowing where they are going and they're so alive with the purpose that they want to serve that the spark is very very easily discernible in their eyes just because they're so so clear and alive and the people who are depressed people who don't have a way to go and I'm not talking about clinical depression necessarily. People who just don't have a way to go. People who are lost. These are the people who don't have a spark because they don't have a visual image. They don't know what their direction is. So how are we going to succeed against the darkness and against those camels laden with flax of Western thinking, Western society and Western values? Very clear. If we are totally focused in on our values, if we feel them on a, an experiential level and we have a spark in our eyes and we're just full of life and happiness and drive to live our Jewish values, nothing, nothing can stand in our way. And we're gonna talk more about that right after the break. Shalom, everybody. 
Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. I am Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and Country. From Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. So if you had to put one word to characterize our Western society today, I think that one word would be logic and left brain thinking. Because our society really prizes nothing more than logic, thinking, the scientific method, research, and especially in the past two years, Trusting science has become a catchphrase for being up with modern values. Trusting science. Like, you don't need to think. We've done all the thinking for you. And in fact, not just us. It's the smart people with the PhDs, the people who are trained in the scientific method, the people who know how to think. They have done all the thinking for you. And you just need to trust them. So what happened? We turned logic, thinking, and the scientific method into an idol where you just need to trust it with blind trust and faith the way some other societies actually refer to religion. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against science. I'm not against logic. And I'm not against thinking. They're very important. They're actually what separate human beings from animals. Yes, we have a brain, we have a mind. I mean, they also have a brain, but we have a mind and we have logic and we can think the way animals simply can't. But this is not the highest rung of human development. Human development does not end with your ability to reason. There are higher levels of human development that are attainable and that higher level is following your godly soul. The Rabbi Arashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rabbi, teaches that every level of existence strives to become higher, to be elevated. So for example, so for example, minerals that are inanimate in the earth become part of plants, right? Plant kingdom is higher than the inanimate objects. And then plant kingdom, plants, they feed living organisms like animals and then animals become food for people people are high rung so what's the next level for people where can people rise where can people be elevated to and human beings can be elevated to become more godly by divesting themselves of their physical focus and investing themselves into a spiritual focus of connectedness to god How do we do that? How do we do that? We do that by understanding that there are higher levels of our existence than just our rational mind. Our rational mind is very important 
and we need to use it to the best of its capability. But then there are higher levels of our development. And here's the thing. When we think about behavior, we know a lot of things to be true or not true, but that doesn't necessarily inform how we actually behave. For example, everybody knows that it's bad to be get angry. It's just bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for the people around you. It kills relationships. It doesn't get anything done. But people still fly off the handle all the time. Why? You know, in your logic, it's bad for you. If I was to talk you through the situation, you would know that getting angry is bad. So why are you doing this? So, of course, today we have psychology, and we know that there's something called the subconscious. And the subconscious very often dictates what happens in our conscious, or actually sometimes even bypasses our conscious, and goes straight for the emotions. But how do we look at this from the Jewish perspective? So, in Jewish perspective, we do not have a subconscious. We have an overconscious. We have a higher conscious. Our higher conscious is actually above our conscious mind, not below it. And that overconscious, that higher consciousness, can operate on two levels. It can either be fed imagery from the outside in, or it can actively develop imagery from the inside out. But in any case, that higher consciousness is full of images and they trigger and activate our behavior. Sometimes we can choose which images to develop in our mind's eye. And the more we populate our higher consciousness with imagery, with positive, beautiful imagery about our self-image, about the world, about the way we want to see our future, the more we create active, thought out, beautiful, productive, empowering imagery in our mind, the less we are governed by the superficial, negative, sometimes inappropriate imagery that is coming in from the outside. Because we are always guided by imagery, not by logic. And everybody, it's known, everybody is guided by imagery and by emotion and not by logic. We think we're guided by logic, but we're not. I mean, how many times have you tried to have a logical discussion with somebody and you've showed them the logic and you've shown them the facts, but they're just not buying into it? And then you're thinking, why can't I have a discussion with this person? Why are they not listening? They are listening, but all your facts are just on the logic level and they cannot compete with the imagery that they have in their mind. For example, if somebody is really afraid and they have this imagery of what will happen to them if they do this or don't do this, facts don't matter anymore because they're just afraid. They're in survival mode. So facts don't go anywhere near. So there are several levels at which we process information and process ideas. The first level is simply understanding them actual just understanding what is this idea say. Then we can internalize and integrate an idea like it becomes so clear to us we've sort of integrated into us. Then there comes a time where we feel it, we have a felt sense for this idea. 
But then there's a higher level when it actually becomes an image in our mind's eye. And when it becomes an image in our mind's eye, that is when it can start to influence our behavior. But we can choose once again which imagery to put into our mind. And it is so interesting. There are three stages in the development of the Jewish people and in the service of God of the Jewish people. There is the generation from Avram until the destruction of the second temple. And that entire period is categorized by action. It was the time when to worship God, people brought sacrifices. They actually used the physical world and they slaughtered animals as part of worshiping God. Then came the intellectual stage. For the past 2,000 years, since the destruction of the temple, we cannot bring sacrifices. So what we do instead is we say the words of sacrifice. We read the chapters of sacrifices in the Torah, and we learn Torah. So we've had about 2,000 years of intellectual activity. But then comes a third stage. The Tanya says that the times that are beginning of the times of Mashiach, of Messiah. Our biggest work here as we're beginning to enter the stage of Mashiach is actually prayer. And prayer is not mumbling words. Prayer is a deep felt emotional connection to God. And to have that deep felt emotional connection to God, you have to have some kind of a world of imagery. Now it's very, very important to say here that we're not imagining God or we're not giving him a physical appearance. That's that's idol worship. We cannot do that. We're certainly not creating mental images of God in our mind. But we have to create imagery that stirs us emotionally so that we have a connection to God. So for example, imagine that you're reading the story of the Exodus and you're reading the story of the splitting of the Red Sea in the Torah. Now, you can just read it intellectually and read the words and read the verses and maybe read the commentaries. Or you can sit down after you've done all of that and actually see yourself being there. If I was at the splitting of the Red Sea and I see all of the stories that are in the Torah and in the Midrash that our sages bring down and in the commentaries, if I see all of that happening, how would I feel? In that situation, what would it feel like to be delivered by God? You know, I was in danger and then God delivered me and God saved me. And now I'm ecstatic and so happy and I'm dancing and singing with the entire Jewish people after being saved by God. That creates an emotional experience. Now, we say that there's this crossing and a splitting of the Red Sea every single day. Every single day we have to remind ourselves of the actors from Egypt. Every single day we have to remind ourselves of the giving of the Torah. The idea is not to just remind yourself to just, oh, okay, God gave us the Torah, now what? But to really feel it, to experience it. And by having this imagery and having these experiences, we can develop a real three-dimensional, close, emotional relationship to God that once again, nothing can go against that. No imagery, no ideas, no logic of the Western world can touch something that you feel 
when something becomes so ingrained in you because you feel it on the felt sense and you see it so clearly in your mind, you can't be talked out of it. And this is our biggest challenge, creating a deep emotional Judaism based on imagery. And we'll talk more about that and the special holiday coming up this week, right after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Welcome back. So I have a question for you. How are we going to enter the Messianic age? How's it going to happen? How are we going to get there? And the Zohar, the book of Jewish mysticism, actually says that we are going to go out of exile into the redemption with mercy, with this book, the book of Zohar. Now, what's really special about Zohar is that it has all this imagery that is really code for other things. We don't really understand what it talks about unless you understand the code. The imagery there stands for different things, for different concepts and ideas, and you really need to learn it with somebody who knows what they're talking about to get the point. But every or many of the um, parts of the Zohar start with the words, come and see. As opposed to the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud that really governs our behavior and standards and halacha, Jewish law, for the past 1,500 years. It was written in Babylon. And most of its parts start with come and hear. For the past 2,000 years, we've been in hearing mode. We've been in the world of logical understanding, just like we discussed in the previous segment. But the parts of going into Mashiach mode into Messiah mode, into revelation. Revelation is really all about seeing. It's about seeing God clearly in every aspect of the world, not just hearing about God, not just knowing intellectually that that God is everywhere, but it is actually about seeing God everywhere. And who was it that made this approach palatable? And who was it that brought it to the masses? The Hasidic movement. The point of the Hasidic movement that started about 300 years ago was to take the teachings of the Zohar, to take these teachings of Kabbalah, of mysticism, of how you can see God 
through the veil of the physicality and bring it to the masses. Jewish mysticism is really reserved for the very few of the people who are very, very learned, for people who are very, very holy and very, very special. But what Hasidic movement did was to take these teachings and to sort of spoon feed them to everybody, including to us very simple people, people like me who really have no, no, um, no dealings in mysticism. But even people like me can learn Hasidic texts and learn from it how to see God in reality. Now this week is going to be the 19th day of the month of Kislev. And in many circles, it is called the Rosh Hashanah, the new year of Hasidut. And the reason is that the third generation rabbi, the, the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shneel Zalman of Liadi, was imprisoned for teaching and spreading Hasidic teachings in um, 1799. And then he was released after 53 days on the 19th day of Kislev. Now, it is said that while he was in prison in uh, Russia, in St. Petersburg, he had a vision of his master, the Maggid of Misrich, and of his master, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov. And he asked them, why am I in prison? He said, because you're revealing the teachings of, of the Kabbalah, of mysticism to the world. And up there in heaven, there's a big war going on about these very special and hidden teachings being taught to the masses. So Rabbi Shneur Zalman asked, so maybe I should stop teaching them. And he, they said, no, you cannot stop teaching them. Now that you've started, you should continue. Because these teachings are what is going to take us out of exile and take us into redemption to Mashiach. And there's a beautiful, beautiful story that Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi shared when somebody challenged him and his teacher's approach in spreading these teachings. So the story goes like this. Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi told this person, look, what if there's a king and this king has a very special son, his only son, who is going to take over the kingdom one day. Now this prince was sent off on a journey to learn more about the world. And one day he got really, really sick. So he was brought back to the palace really, very, very sick. And the king sent for all the doctors and none of the doctors could find any remedy for this, for this son. But there was this one doctor who said, look, I have good news and bad news. The good news is I can have a way to cure the, the prince. The bad news is what I need is this very particular stone, this precious stone. It's very hard to find. The king said, no problem. I can pretty much know that every single kind of precious stone is available in my treasury. So they opened the treasure chest and they look for this treasure, for this jewel, and they find this jewel and they bring it to the king and they bring it to the doctor. And the doctor says, look, the prince is really turning for the worse. So you need to think what you want to do because this one precious jewel was encrusted in the king's crown. It was at the top of the king's crown and without it, the crown would be worthless. So the king said, the crown is not worth anything to me if my prince doesn't take my place. So take out the jewel, I don't care. And the doctor said, yes, but we need to take this jewel now and we need to turn it into powder and mix it with water 
and try to drop some drops into the prince's mouth, maybe, maybe something will, will fall in. Maybe, maybe something will go inside and then the prince will be revived. And the king said, I don't care. Take the jewel, turn it into powder, and fast, fast, give it to my son to drink. So what's this allegory? What is this image once again? The Palatania Rabbi Shneur Zaman says, the prince is the Jewish people and the king is God. There will come a time when we're seeing this today that the Jewish people are so parched, they're so dry, they're so far removed from the heritage. They're so far removed from Jewish values. The Jewish soul is, is like almost not there. They're so disconnected. And we've seen so many times, you know, in American Jewry, we're seeing so many Jews are so far away from their Judaism. And the other big Jewish community, like in Russia, for example, people just don't know anything. People know very little about Judaism. And 70, 80% of Jewish people are assimilating. We're like hanging by a thread. So what can bring us back? What can revive our Jewish spirit? It is taking the teachings of Jewish mysticism, of the Kabbalah, and really grinding them to powder, making them so palatable that even simple people like us can maybe, maybe, maybe grasp an idea. And that idea will give us life. What is the central point of Hasidic movement? What is the central point? Come and see. Don't just listen. Don't just think. Don't just analyze how great God is. Come and see. Come experience it. Come live it. And this is why the Baal Shem Tov valued the simple people who don't necessarily have the intellectual capacity, but they have this felt sense of God. They just felt God. And they lived with this very simple, simple faith. And that simple faith helped them through thick and thin. And very often they would just be happy why, when you're happy, the world is open. You feel you're in your place. You see things. You th- see things clearly. But when you're closed off in your logic, very often you just feel closed off. And when you sometimes try to think things only in our logical mind, then our logic leads us off into very different directions. And sometimes we can really lie to ourselves. So the whole idea of the Hasidic movement is to use imagery, obviously, once again, allowed imagery, not, God forbid, idol worship, not creating pictures of God in our mind, and certainly not turning God into something of this world, into something physical. This is idol worship. But creating imagery of our connection, of our love, and then feeling it emotionally, and then having that felt sense of God in the world. This is how we're going to go into redemption. And this holiday is this week the 19th of Kislev. So the Rabbi, the Balatanya, Rabbi Shneur Zaman of Liadio was closed off in prison. And I think in a way, many of us are imprisoned. We've just went through two years of lockdowns. And the countries around the world, like Australia and Austria and some other countries in Europe that are imposing new lockdowns, we're literally being imprisoned. And even in other countries, there are different restrictions in our movement there's so much restriction so we're so imprisoned we have the social distancing where people are just separated and imprisoned how we will break out we need to break out by having the faith 
to see God in everything in our life. And this is how we break out of our own prisons, how of prisons of our comfort zones, of prisons of our self-images, of prisons of what we believe is possible for us and other people, of prisons of limited consciousness. The world is so big. God is so big. God is so expansive. He can do anything and everything. He creates this world every single moment for our ultimate good. And our ability to appreciate that depends only on one thing, on us, how focused we are on that, how in tuned we are with that. If we're in tuned and focused and experiential and emotional about our relationship with God, and yes, we use our logic and we use our mind and we use our mind to understand ideas deeply so we can actually connect to them. There's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more pleasurable than that for human beings. There's no greater way of serving God. And I wish you this week to experience godliness, to experience happiness, to experience connection. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.